Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles, please? New Testament, the book of Titus. The book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Titus 2, 11 to 13. Paper versions take longer, don't they? <laughs> okay, are you all there? Okay. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in modern English, the word hope has become a diluted word. It's become a shrinking violet of a word. For example, we speak of hoping for good weather. We speak of hoping the car passes MOT. We really hope for that, don't we? Hope has become no more than a vague desire of some favourable outcome. But the biblical definition of hope is a far more solid one. It's a concrete one. Hope in scriptural terms means a certain outcome or a full expectation of what God has promised us in Christ. Hebrews 10.23 tells us this. Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Amen. So for hope to be a reality in our lives, we must have two things. One is the faithfulness of God. Is that a given? Yeah. Amen. The other one, on our part, is a believing heart. You put those two together, what do you get? You get a joyful believer. Amen? Yeah. You can't help be joyful. Yeah. Now, our text this morning tells us to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But if we are to live in genuine hope of this wonderful truth, and it is a wonderful truth, we must, of course, be careful of what teaching we hear. As in all things, our one true authority is what? The Word of God. Amen. Now, this doctrine has seen so much wrong teaching down the centuries since the Lord ascended to heaven. Everything from the fanciful to the ridiculous. Put a search on the internet, on Google, second coming... <laughs> you will see outrageous stuff. Absolutely outrageous. How many false prophets down the years have set the date for Jesus' return? There was one on the 19th of September, just gone, someone predicted Jesus would come. Absolute rubbish. The Jehovah Witnesses have, have done it twice. 
in the 1900s. Both, of course, both times it didn't happen. But that said, among sound conservative Bible teachers, you will get differences of opinion, differences of, of scriptural interpretation about the events and timing of the second coming. There are some who hold to a pre-tribulation or a mid-tribulation or a post-tribulation. More inf information on that on the Mondays to come. All views that are held by sincere godly believers. It's not heresy. It's not a heresy. It's an opinion. Scriptural opinion. So my aim this morning is not to go into the fine detail of this subject. In 25, 30 minutes is impossible, isn't it? Can't be done. Can't be done. This will be a brief sketch of the topic. And on the Monday evenings, we're going to add colour and depth to it, hopefully. God willing. So I want to look at the second coming of Christ in four ways this morning. The certainty of it, the purpose of it, the signs of it, and of course, the blessings of it, because it's a blessed hope. Now, in a few points, I will prefix statements with the phrase, in my opinion, okay? Because that's what it will be. Now, on the Mondays, this will especially be the case. So if you do not agree when I say that, it's not a problem. Not a problem at all. And if you disagree with me, I won't be in the slightest bit offended. But I'm sure you'll disagree in a most gracious way. Amen? You're far too godly not to, aren't you? Far too godly. Okay, let's begin on firm ground that we all must stand on, the certainty of Christ's return in power and glory. Amen? This is a prime doctrine of the Christian faith. It's up there with the Trinity, with the atonement, with the resurrection of Christ. It's something a Christian must hold to and must believe. Amen? It has been calculated that for every Bible reference to Christ's first advent, there are four Bible references to his second advent. There are over 1,500 references to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament. 1,500. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament refer to it. The Old Testament prophets foresaw it. The New Testament apostles taught it. Jesus himself spoke of it 21 times, and over 50 times we are told, we are exhorted to watch for it. Amen? And in one of the last recorded statements Jesus made, and it's not in the Gospels, it's in the book of Revelation, 22 verse 12, he exhorts us, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. So when God's word speaks, we better listen. Amen? Yes. We must believe it and live our lives in expectancy of this wonderful, great event. Now, would you please turn to Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. Acts 1, verses 9 to 11.
Now when he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, as angels, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So what is the purpose of Christ's return? Concerning us, it's to gather his bride, the church, to himself. John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. More on that shortly. Secondly, Jesus will return in judgment against this wicked world, against sinful humanity. In Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus has gone into the synagogue, the Sabbath. He's handed a book or a scroll, as it were. We'll call it a book. He's handed the book to read the scriptures. What a thing that is. The word of God made flesh, reading the word of God. Amen? He read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is where we are today, the acceptable year of the Lord, when the whosoever will may come to Christ and find in him full forgiveness, liberty, and complete acceptance with a holy God. What a blessing. Amen? Luke 4 tells us then Jesus did something of great significance he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Very significant. Jesus deliberately stopped reading this passage from Isaiah because the next line is the day of vengeance of our God. That was not the time. Now is not the time. It's a day yet to come, but it is a day that truly will come. Yeah. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God in that way. That day of his return will be a, a day of reckoning for sinful humanity, the days of God's grace, of the gospel call to repentance and faith in Christ will be over. 
Christ will return to this world in judgment. Revelation 6 tells us that the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the, on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand? Thirdly, Jesus Christ is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Zechariah 14, verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Matthew 25, 31, 32, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. The Lord Jesus Christ at his first advent came to this world in lowliness, in humiliation. Born in a stable, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Betrayed into the hands of sinful men, he was condemned, mocked, scourged, spat upon, crowned with thorns, crucified on a Roman cross between two thieves. No more. Never again. Christ will return this time in power and glory. The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God. And this Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Fourthly, Christ shall bring peace and righteousness. Outside the United Nations building in New York, there's a plaque on a wall. It says this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. That's the scripture. It's lifted from Isaiah 2 verse 4. But they have deliberately left out the first part. Do you know what that says? He, Jesus, shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Doesn't it show us this? The arrogance of man. Thinking he can bring peace to this world without Christ. Amen? When Christ reigns in this world, war will end. Peace and perfect peace and only then will finally come. Now, the signs of Christ's return. In Matthew 24, Jesus was sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him and asked a question that has intrigued Christians throughout the age of the church. Tell us, the disciples said, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, as as an unsaved teenager... My parents were Christians. They were, we'd be at a meal table. They were talking about the things of God. And I'll you know, switch off, watch telly. Not interested. I didn't understand what they were talking about. But every now and again, my dad would get on the subject of the second coming. 
and my eyes would be on the TV, but my ear would be. So I, my theory was, as an unsaved young man, was if Jesus comes again and he'll be on the telly, I'll become a Christian then. <laughs> That's what I used to think. <laughs> but when I got saved, I, I was saved on a Friday night. On a Saturday morning, I, Dad, when's Jesus coming? What's going to happen? It, it, it's intriguing, isn't it? And, it, it, and it, it does intrigue God's people. But I must stress again, no one knows the day that Christ will return. Jesus said, but of that day, and no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But the Lord, through his word, has given us signs to look for, the season to look for, if you like. Okay, because time is limited, I must be very brief. Please turn to Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ who will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And this has been the tragic history of this world, hasn't it? Since the fall of man. The whole creation cursed by the sin of Adam and Eve. Jesus tells us that human conflict and natural disasters will, in, will continue until he returns. But notice the phrase, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. What did Jesus mean by that? Birth pains. When a, le- a, a, a lady goes into, a woman goes into labor, the birth pains get quicker and more and intensify. So it is with the second coming of Christ. When we see these things multiplying, intensifying, we'll know the day is near. As the day of Christ nears, we shall see an increase in wars, famine, disease, earthquakes, and spiritual deception. Jesus says, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Our second sign is the culture and society we currently live in. It's a pagan society. There is no doubt about it. Luke 21, 25, 26 tells us that at the end of the age there will be distress of nations with perplexity. Not just this, it's distress on steroids, if you like. It's a developing theme in the world today. In the political world, governments do not know what to do. They're struggling with impossible problems. We are beginning to see, in verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear. Fear of war. Fear of economic hardship. Fear of climate change. That is a movement completely 
rooted in fear. Fear of the future. The list goes on. We see sin abounding or lawlessness. The basest of sins celebrated and glorified. Good called evil and evil called good. A growing and intensifying antagonism to the church of Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters in places like Korea, North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, India, parts of Africa, face imprisonment, even death for their faith. Even here, we see the first signs of things changing with Christians. We see Christians starting to be ostracized, losing their jobs. For what? For standing for truth. Amen? Jesus said a time will come when we will be hated for his namesake. All these things will intensify and come to a head as we approach the return of Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come, times of great pressure. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. That's been in the news this week. I won't mention his name, but we all know who, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Yet in all this, I believe the church of God will shine brighter and brighter as the days close in. What a time to be alive, as Dad said Wednesday. Wednesday. It is, Dan, you're right. It's a great time to be alive. The third sign of Christ's return is the nation of Israel, a true modern miracle. In AD 70, the Roman army under General Titus surrounded Jerusalem. They stormed, eventually when they got in the city, they, they burnt the temple, they desecrated the temple, they burnt it to the ground, and they started wholesale slaughter of Jews. Tens of thousands were crucified at that time. The Jewish historian Josephus from the first century wrote a detailed account of this. If you go to, go to Rome today, there's an arch of Titus, the Roman general that led the massacre. And it, engraved in it, it, they've got the items from the Jewish temple, all, all, the, all the paraphernalia they used to use. And it's got a, 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 like, a de, and it's like the Arc de Triomphe. It's got the complete story of the siege and the massacre on it, kind of thing. Now, the surviving Jews who escaped were scattered and over the centuries, they spread across the world. For over 1,900 years, Jews were, be, were, were to be found in virtually every nation on earth. Yet amazingly, they have kept their unique identity despite anti-Semitic hatred, despite vicious persecutions over time. Now, Bible students throughout the centuries have always known that one day the Jews would be regathered to their homeland. I was reading, I, I like reading old commentaries. I read one from about 100 years ago. And uh, a man commented, a brother commentate, 
commenting on the, on the end times, say, although we can't see this now, I, I believe, as outrageous as it seems, Israel will one day be a nation. And it happened, didn't it? Yeah. It, it did happen. 1948 was the year Israel was reborn as a sovereign state. Jews flooded back to their homeland. And since then, despite four wars in which Israel's very existence was on the line, especially 1967 and the Seven Day War, 1973, the Yom Kippur War, Israel attacked on the Day of Atonement. No one was working, everyone was home. Three nations attacked them, yet they still prevail. Why? Because God is keeping them. Amen. But Israel today is a nation in unbelief. They will not have Christ to rule over them. Israel awaits another time of awful persecution that will take place in the, what's called the tribulation time, the last seven years. But God is going to save a remnant for himself out of that time. One of the most poignant moments in Bible prophecy is Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look on me whom they pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And Israel will finally know Christ as their Messiah. Amen? Jesus said, concerning the end times, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch is already tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, in, in Scripture, the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. So Israel, as a strong, prospering nation, after all these centuries have passed, is a great sign to us that the days are approaching, the days are closing in on the second coming of Christ. Our fourth sign on the return of Christ is found in 2 Thessalonians verses 1-4. Now, this is where there's been disagreement between many Bible teachers over the years. But before we look at it, some, some brief background. The young Thessalonian church, under heavy persecution, have been taught by Paul in detail about the day of Christ, a time when Christ will return and gather his people to himself. Most teachers pretending and forging letters from Paul causing great confusion to this church. Now, it always, always reminds me of a time when I was uh, sent a false message. I did it. <laughs> Carol and I, we were in a, a church in Cornwall. This is several years ago. And um, it was Valentine's Day. She's, she's, it was Valentine's Day. Carol's at work, I'm home, and I, thought, I saw a, a picture on the internet. Two hearts. The lyrics of a love song. And I added my own bit underneath. I'll send that to her. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so I did it. Press send. And as, it's an old phone, so you can see it going. And to my horror, it's not going to Carol. 
not going to her. Who was it going to? Who was the recipient of, of, of my passion in love? Now, if it was another lady, imagine the explaining I would have to do. It's a man's worst nightmare, isn't it, Dan? Imagine that, Dan. You can't, you can't imagine it. Can you? But, but what I did was worse. It was worse. The person I sent it to was the pastor of the church. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> I've, I have never been so... I've embarrassed myself many times during my life. I've, honestly, I could feel sweat running down my back. The quickest text I've ever sent, it's not for you, it's for Carol. So... Text come back within five minutes. I love you too, brother. <laughs> I get when I read this this bit, I get I get flashbacks to it. I always do. So, back to the word. Back to the word. Now, the Thessalonians had received letters as from Paul that this great event that Christ had come had already happened. And as you can well imagine, the church at Thessalonica went into panic. Yeah. They thought they were left behind. It was, it was all gone. Paul reassures them with another letter. He says this, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Stay calm. Either by spirit, word of prophecy, that's a false word of prophecy, or by word, that's false teaching, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. It will not come unless first the falling away comes and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all, that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Two things must happen before Christ returns. Firstly, there must be a falling away. What does that mean, the word falling away? It's the Greek word apostasia. We get the word apostasy from it. It means to depart from the set truth and to drift further and further away from it. In other words, to leave the faith, as declared in the Bible. To drift further and further from the truth of biblical Christianity. Now, do we see that in the professing, I'm saying professing church today? Yes, we do. It's not a new thing, is it? The, the New Testament ch church had it with the, with the Gnostics, those who claimed secret knowledge that superseded the scriptures or so they taught. The church of the Reformation had to battle for it, battle for truth. In our day, we see the increasing influence of liberal, watered-down Christianity, which denies the miracles of the Bible, the virgin birth, the atonement, the resurrection, and much else. It's a form of Christianity which fully accepts and promotes the politically correct agenda, the woke agenda, as they call it today. 
something that we're bom- in society, we're bombarded with it. They have embraced it and brought it into the church. Apostasy like this will intensify in the closing years of this age. But on the positive side, let's be positive. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end shall come. The good news of Jesus, the saving message of the gospel, is spreading around the world like never before. Of course, you get faithful men and women and missionaries who go out. You get Trudy. That takes courage, doesn't it, to do that? But for all the bad reputation it gets, the internet and social media has transformed evangelism. It brings the message of the gospel across the world in a single click. Amen? Everyone has the chance of hearing the gospel now who has a computer. And every member of the Church of Jesus Christ, if you don't go out and be a missionary, you can be an internet evangelist. Amen? Use social media to advance the gospel wherever possible. All you've got to do post a scripture up and wait for the flack to come in. <laughs> then they do. It's true. Then, off you, then you're in. You know? Off you go. Now the second event I believe must occur before Christ re- returns is this. The man of sin must be revealed. Now, what, the, what or who is the man of sin? This term of refers to a man who will appear on the world stage in the last days before Jesus comes. A man who will dominate politically the whole world. He will deceive Israel for a season into believing he is their true Messiah. This man will be a masterpiece of satanic power and deception. He will be the very embodiment of sin and evil. Verse 9 says of him, the coming of the lawless one, that's him, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This man is not a fiction. He will be a reality one day. Among his other titles are the beast and the antichrist. Now, the term antichrist has a double meaning. It means, on the first hand, it means against Christ. He is an implacable, bitter enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other meaning is in place of Christ. This man is a fraud, a deceiver, an imposter who will claim he is the Messiah. As the one who is against Christ, he will bring chaos on the world stage in his wake. He will instigate a time of the most brutal persecution of God's people this world has ever seen during the last seven years of tribulation. As the one who comes in place of Christ, he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, so that he sits in the temple of God, claiming he is God. He will commit the ultimate blasphemy by usurping the place of Christ, demanding for himself the attributes in worship that belong only to God. During those days, anyone who will refuse to worship him will die. It's that stark. Okay, for now, two points of contention amongst Bible teachers about this. Number one, 
does this man of sin rise to power before Christ returns to his church? That's one. The second one, or does he arise after Christ has taken his church in the rapture? And that, that one is a, a real hot potato with some Christians. They get angry about this. They really do. So, in my opinion, okay, okay to disagree. Don't stone me. In my opinion, the man of sin must come to prominence before Jesus returns to his church. The, man of, man, the day of Christ will not come until the man of sin is revealed. We do not know who he is. People speculate. Ridiculously, when uh, President Obama took power, first he, they'd done something with his name and said, he's the Antichrist. No, he's not. He will be hidden until God permits it. And the other thing we must realize, God is sovereign. He is in complete control. Amen. Again, we will look at this in depth during the chat in the chapel sessions. But either way, if it's before or after Christ comes for his church, this seemingly invincible man of sin will be utterly defeated. Amen? 2 Thessalonians 2.8, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We're going to win, all right? We can't but win if we're in Christ. Amen? Amen. So finally, the blessed reality of Christ's return. So what will happen to God's people, the church? Let's let the Bible speak when Jesus returns. We'll let the Bible speak. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise Amen. first. Amen. Amen. Then we, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. So blessing number one, the Lord's return transcends death. Death can't stop it. Amen. Notice the dead in Christ rise first. Every saint of God, everyone from the beginning of the church to today, to, yeah. to that future time when Christ comes. Some of us will probably be amongst that company. Okay? Some sooner than we think, maybe. <laughs> every blood-bought sinner, every child of God will be taken. Everyone who has physically died, whose soul is, is currently in the presence of the Lord. Amen? will be bodily resurrected and caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Death will not, cannot hold them back. But what of us who are still alive? We'll join them in the twinkling of an eye. Amen? In the, the, the smallest amount of time possible. The dead go, then, with the, then us that are alive will join them to meet the Lord in the air. What a day that will be. Amen? And we will all, number two, we'll all be changed. All be changed. Philippians 3, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible from Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly wait the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by exerting that power which enables him even to subject everything to himself will not only transform but completely refashion our earthly bodies. So they, they will be like his glorious resurrected body. Amen? Now, did you hear the last point? Did, did that sink in? Christ will completely refra- refashion our earthly body. They will be like his resurrection body. Still not convinced? All right. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that's been hidden. That gets revealed. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means die. But we shall all be changed. No one's left out. From the newest baby Christian to the most seasoned believer. Looking at Terry. And we'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And the, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. The body we receive will never corrupt. We shall have a body fit for heaven, a body fit for eternity. This mortal decaying frame, so prone to disease, will be gone forever. Amen? No more sickness. No more pain. No depression and worry. Amen? No stress and anxiety. No fear. No heartache. No tears. And no growing old. Oh, picking on you, Rob. <laughs> Amen. Does that sound like a blessed hope? It does, doesn't it? Amen. Number three, we shall know joy in its heavenly fullness. Now, think of a time in your Christian experience when, when you felt that such closeness to God that you were flooded with joy. It, it's, it's beyond, it's quite rare, but it, when it happens, you never forget, do you? Now, that moment will be as nothing to the immediate presence of Christ. Amen? Psalm 61, in your presence is fullness, joy in its fullness, in actual right hand, or pleasures forevermore. I will, I will be brief. The hymn writer expressed it this way. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? With, when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Amen. Lesson number four. No longer will sin tempt us. No longer will we struggle against it. Our fin- the final piece of our salvation will be in place. Now I'm saved. Praise God. We can all say that, can we? And what? Because we're saved, we're justified. Now we're saved, we're being sanctified. That's an ongoing thing, isn't it? And the last part, I will be saved. That's when we're glorified, when Christ comes. Our bodies change to be like his glorious body. Finally, the... The church of Christ will at long last be in perfect unity. No more squabbling denominations. No more arguing on points of doctrine. The Baptists will be arm in arm with the charismatic. The, the Pentecostal with the Presbyterian. Amen. We'll all be one. Amen. Christ's high priestly prayer, John 17, that they all may be one. It's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. Yeah. And Revelation tells us a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So in conclusion, the, this great doctrine from God's word is not just for our information, is it? It's not just for head knowledge. It demands a response from God's people. So this morning, these days we live in are not times to play fast and loose with the things of God. They are not the days to flirt with sin. It's the time to be serious with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Our text at the beginning told us this. It exhorted us to live soberly, our fleshly ways under control. Godly, how we relate Godward into our brothers and sisters. And righteously, how we treat others. Now we'll close with this, Romans 13, 11. And do this, knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. And, no, and now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Amen. Let's, can we bow our heads, please? Just bow our heads. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you're watching online this morning and you don't know this Jesus Christ we've spoken of, this Jesus Christ the Bible proclaims, if you don't know the, G the Christ who died for sinners on a cross 2,000 years ago, same Jesus who rose from the dead three days later, the same Jesus who will return, will come again. This Jesus bids you come to him today. You may say, I'm too sinful to come. No. Jesus can save the very worst of sinners. He saved this sinner. You may think I'm too broken, I'm too distressed by the circumstances of my life. No. Jesus can heal the brokenhearted. He can comfort the distressed. So will you trust him today? Will you receive him as saviour? Now, if that's you this morning, or if you want to receive him as saviour, or if you just want to talk to someone, after we finish, just, just briefly raise a hand. If that's you today. Put no one under for any pressure whatsoever. If you're watching online, get in touch via the church website. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you as a people, Lord, and we look for your coming. And we thank you for that glorious day we will see you face to face. Amen.